Hi, I'm Greg Thomas, and welcome to In Good Company, where we discuss the most important issues facing higher education with some of the smartest minds in the field. Today, we're going to be talking about student success. We'll talk about the things that institutions can do, given that the path to a degree is more challenging than ever. We'll also discuss how educations can rethink and redesign the pathways for those students, both in school and as they pass out into the working world to achieve success. With me today are three experts in higher ed. Hi, I'm Meredith Coughlin, Assistant Dean of Enterprise Systems at Indian River State College. I'm Sean Hanna, Team Lead for Student Systems at the University of Rochester. And I'm Jen Tutak, Higher Education Manager at Deloitte. Welcome. Thanks for being on In Good Company. So schools are facing increased pressures to demonstrate student success, but a successful college experience can mean something different for a student or a parent or an administrator. So how do each of you define student success? So I think that there is a greater awareness in the field that completion embodies an arc that is access, completion, and career. So for me, a strong student success definition would recognize that it is completion of a high quality degree or certificate that gives prospects for life and career. And as an open access institution for Indian River, student success is really about meeting students where they are as an individual and figuring out where it is that they want to be and helping them get there. At Rochester, um, certainly uh, there is a lot of focus on the metrics of retention and graduation rates, uh, undoubtedly. But um, inside those numbers is a holistic effort to try to help students develop intellectually and emotionally um, so that they can be successful and earn that credential, but also go on to be lifelong learners and um, you know, important members of society and happy people. Yeah, I think about building that foundation for the rest of your life, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and Sean, maybe sticking with you, um, you know, the, the profile of, of incoming college students has also changed a lot over the last several years. And, and so when you think about how that's impacted what you do on campus, I mean, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it, it really has changed a lot. At, at Rochester, um, for instance, our international student population has really increased significantly over the last 10 years um, from, you know, in the single digit percentiles to, uh, I think, uh, almost a quarter of our, our freshman class wow. is coming in from, uh, uh, from different countries. So, so that is certainly a big piece. I think it's a great beneficial piece um, to, to bring in that kind of diversity. But another area of diversity that I think is less talked about is students with disabilities coming to college campuses a lot more frequently and how that has changed our approach to education education and trying to help students be successful. At Indian River, we're seeing a really big shift in our age. So at 10 years ago, the average student on our campus was 36, and we've seen that shift to 26. And it, I think it somewhat aligns with, in 2008, our transition from a community college to a state college by adding baccalaureate programs. And so I think we're, we're beginning to draw more of that traditionally aged college student. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, we are beginning to look at what are their needs and how do they differ from uh, the part-time student, full-time mother, you know, coming coming to class at night. Um, and so it's forcing us to look at things differently. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because that experience at Indian River is, is a little bit different than perhaps the traditional four-year where the, the ages seem to actually be going up a little bit. And Jen, what would you add from the, the delay perspective? So we look a lot at what's happening in the field, and there's definitely some big demographic changes that colleges and universities are having to pay attention to. So mm -hmm. one of them is certainly geography. Actually, students from the Northeast and the Midwest in particular are starting to dwindle. Almost half of the states in, the, in America, about 21, 
the population K to 12 represents over half of those students. And of course, amongst those, you will have a higher number of underrepresented minority students. And that will be important for colleges and universities to consider who will be coming in through their front door and what challenges they might have to completing. Yeah, and that's, that's a great segue into to our next topic, which is you know, how are schools thinking about redesigning their student success programs to contend with those, those changing demographics as well as what's going on in the wider world? Um, so, so Jen, maybe we start with you. What, what are some of those best practices that schools are adopting? There's definitely a number of levers that institutions can think about. Some of these will be on the intervention side. So things that relate to high quality learning, student success services that are comprehensive. However, there's also a number of capacities that institutions can plan for. And these might be some that are not as, as obvious at first, but thinking through things along the lines of transformational readiness at an institution is the leadership in place to really support student success as a vision and a mission. Have the institution leaders thought through a strategic finance plan to make sure that the infrastructure is in place to meet the resource needs, as there will always be constraints on, on what can be done. Yeah, I think it's important that, you know, you the, the, the institution align with mission and what they're doing in their day-to-day -day jobs, right? And those two things have to have to align. Um, and student success is the most important thing on our campus. There is an institutional commitment to uh, continuing to professionally develop people um, all through the lens of student success and recognizing that um, everyone is having an impact, right? So are your classrooms uh, ready for, for to be a positive learning environment? Um, are your faculty feeling as though that they can uh, leverage really creative instructional methods? Um, do they feel as though uh, they have the administrative support to do those types of things? Are your academic advisors um, able to meet students' needs and, and meet them where they are? And so I agree that it, it, it really comes along in a major way of aligning institutional culture with um, what it is at the core of the mission of student success. So let's talk a little bit about some examples of those, those guided pathways and how they help students succeed. And, and Meredith, why don't, we, why don't we start with you? So Indian River State College is a guided pathways institution. Um, and so while we've, we've been in the practice of providing our students um, individual academic plans since about 2007, and around that same time as we, we uh, were very intentional with assigning academic advisors to students. And so part of that process is at the point that they meet with their advisor for the first time, you know, that discussion about starting with the end in mind, what the, their career goals are, what their definition of, of success is, what they're really there to accomplish, um, and giving them a roadmap, so to speak, to help them reach that point. Um, and then we have strategies around checking in with them at certain benchmarks as they reach 25%, 50%, 75%, to make sure that that plan still aligns with what those goals are and kind of just checking in. There's, there's some tension around this, I think, at Rochester because we have a very open curriculum. and. Um, so it, it, it can be a real challenge for an 18-year-old, since we're mostly traditional age students, an 18-year-old coming in and, and having you know, the full buffet uh, to, to, to choose from. And, um, and so what, what we end up doing is, is, is encouraging students to create sort of individualized um, programs of study, you know, kind of an eight-semester plan. Um, but it's... A, it's it's something that, that a student would figure out on their own with an advisor. It, it becomes sort of a living document that, uh, that the student and their advisor uh, can sort of converse through um, and make that plan. Jen, how, how do you look at this? 
So it's definitely becoming an increasing area of focus in the field because at the end of the day, it's not just about helping the student earn their credential, it's also about saving time and money to getting that degree. So a number of institutions are looking to implement these and in addition to helping advisors and other staff and administrators do right by the students, it's a fantastic way to empower students themselves to have a way to view whether they're tracking for success or not. So whether it's through a dashboard, mm -hmm. conversations with advisors, and other mechanisms, definitely one of the most effective strategies to help students complete. Yeah, I think back on my own experience in college, like that, that buffet analogy is, mm -hmm. is, is, is a good one, I think, because in, in addition to all the, the classes that I had to take, there were clubs and activities and sports and social and... And, uh, you know, having some help to, to just choose would, would have been really, really, really helpful. Cool. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about um, technology and, um, and so how, how technology can help administrators uh, provide that better experience for students while they're enrolled. One of the great ways that I think that technology can, can offer some assistance is, is providing an, an ability to, um, to communicate across those divisions from student affairs to academic affairs through the academic departments um, and to close the loop on the communication so that uh, any advisor or coach or somebody who's attached to a student can, through technology, see what's going on with that student as opposed to um, having to do the research on their own by picking up the phone and, and emailing. And while those conversations are very helpful, having more information uh, at one's fingertips is, is really a, a form of communication that can cut across those silos, I think. Yeah, taking it out of the filing cabinets. And That's making right. It, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Meredith, how, how does it look from your perspective? We're looking at ways that we can inform instructors and inform advisors earlier um, to get to a state of more proactive intervention, I think naturally just given the, the population, the timing, um, gaps in access to data, mm -hmm. um, you know, closing, you know, information lacking on one side of the house or the other, it makes it difficult to pinpoint um, earlier in, in the semester or pinpoint really before the semester even begins um, who potentially is at most at risk and who potentially is going to need more of your help sooner. Mm -hmm. um, so what we're doing is, is trying to build a model around um, arming faculty with that information as early as week three and four in the course um, by providing information from the student information system, um, putting that in combination with behaviors in the LMS one of my favorite interventions that I've actually seen from a high-touch perspective has come from the front lines. The way that advisors have realized a really great way to reach out to their students is through text messaging. And that is something that institutions really can harness relatively quickly, given that most students coming in to college today already have a smartphone. Mm -hmm. So from a technological standpoint, the students have the hardware, and there's so many ways to now connect with them, even through free text message applications that advisors and offices can implement. So having the recognition on the point of advisors as to how can we best communicate with students to meeting them where they are. Yeah, I know I have two teenage daughters at home, and if I want to get their attention when they're in the living room, I text them. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit sad, but it's true. You know? It's true. So kind of carrying on that thought, student engagement is a critical component to guiding students to success. So what are some of the ways that we can improve those engagement tactics with students? So at Indian River, we're really looking forward to our transition to the Workday Student System. Um, I think we see some really good potential in, in an ability to inform a student at the time a certain transaction is taking place, so that just-in-time help. 
Um, that's something that we don't currently have. And so it might be a matter of um, informing the student when they go to register that, oh, this is a toxic combination. It would be better if you took this class with this class. Um, but from a broader standpoint, I think engagement goes beyond technology. Um, and I, I, th I think the traditional student development theory says that you know, it's, it's not all about the technology, but it's leveraging it to do the things that the people can't do and freeing the time up so that the people can do what they're best at doing. Um, and so I think it, it's bringing those institutional people resources to bear. Um, that is the, a very big part of what engagement and retention looks like at an institution. Yeah, and, and, you know, and students who are engaged feel that they belong. Um, so whether, you know, whether they're engaged with an instructor working in their lab or in some sort of extracurricular activity, um, we know that, that the research shows us that, uh, that, that engaged students tend to be more successful. And from the institution's perspective, um, all that engagement kind of provides more data points for the school to see, to, to understand where the student is. And, and because it all gets back to, you know, Meredith, you mentioned, you know, right, right on time advising or, or something like that. And I think that's exactly right. We want to be able to intervene with the students at the right time. Um, and to do that, you need the entire community to sort of be involved in, um, in reaching out to the student or letting the appropriate people know that, that, that a student needs some assistance. Um, and the more a student is engaged, the more points of contact that there are on a campus. Yep. What advice would you give them who, you know, to those who are looking to improve student success? So what's so great about higher ed and, and student success is that everybody wins. And we're all in this together. It's a community when it's, when it's done well. It's very special that this is all about people. And when you, as an institution, are taking care of your faculty, your staff, your administrators, and helping them be set up to help serve students, it, it, it just grows. And so I think it's important to remember that this is fundamentally about people and relationships. It's a critical part of someone's life to be a student and be obtaining a credential. And so to the extent that an institution and its leadership and its people can come together to just think about that people aspect and setting each other up through leadership, through its policies, through its investments to know that, again, this is about supporting everyone to be their best self and ultimately the student. No, I, I couldn't agree with Jen Moore, and I think for Indian River, it really comes down to organizational culture and, and making sure that your organizational culture is aligned um, with what your critical mission is. And so I think for that long game to work, um, you have to start with the people, with the culture, um, and making sure that no matter what level of the organization you work um, or, or what department you're in, that you can reflect on what it is that you do to contribute to that end goal. There's a pretty big focus on um, data and predictive analytics and things like that. And I just think that it's, it's important um, for institutions to make sure that they, before they try to predict um, a student's success, that they make sure that they take a step back and, and, and they're sure that they've got all the data points that they, that they need to do so. And they, and they first make an effort to try to you know, describe what's actually going on. And not to forget that, um, as Jen said, these are people. And so we need a qualitative element to this as well. You know, it, it can't just all be um, quantitative data points. All right, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank my guests, Meredith, Sean, and Jen for joining me today. Thanks, Thanks for having Thanks. us. This was great. 
Thanks again for listening to the In Good Company podcast. If you'd like to watch the video version of In Good Company, please visit Workday's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash workday.